Hey, it's Bob Stoffer. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Oilers Now ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer, weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. Portions of the Oilers Now podcast are brought to you by ProAmSports.ca. We return to Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Brought to you by Digitex. Service for all brands of print equipment in your office? Yeah, Digitex does that. D-I-G-I-T-E-X.ca on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. Welcome back, everybody. Bob Stoffer live at Rogers Place, where it's day three of the Halenka Gretzky Cup. Canada against Sweden tonight, 7 p.m. at Rogers Place. It will decide first and second spot who will play in the respective uh, semifinals. And down in Red Deer tonight, a couple of events going on. Uh, It'll be the United States and the Russians. Uh, They will play at 7 p.m. at Service Arena in Red Deer, and that will decide who comes in first and second there, and we'll set up our two semifinals, which will be played Friday uh, here at Rogers Place in Edmonton. It's also day two of the Battle of Alberta Golf Tournament, and I will be uh, driving down uh, later this afternoon for the second day in a row to assist in uh, doing the hot stoves. And, wow, again, I, I cannot reinforce this more. Uh, Red Deer's got some juice going on right now in their marketplace. That is a, I, would, I would argue right now Cam Moon, who's the play-by-play voice of the Red Deer Rebels, might have the best play-by-play job in major junior hockey. That's a pretty cool place to uh, to work out of. Uh, I'm pleased to be joined here in Rogers Place by two guys uh, that run uh, respective Western Hockey League franchises and are both under the age of 35. And had I been in my 30s, I'd been incredibly envious of you. So I think it's pretty cool. Uh, Colin Priestner is joining us. He is uh, general manager and partner of the Saskatoon Blades. Colin, welcome back to our show. How you doing? Great. Thanks for having us. Yeah, absolutely. And Kurt Hill is here. He is the uh, new president GM of the uh, Edmonton Oil Kings. And Kurt, uh, welcome back to our show as well. Yeah, thank you. Hey, uh, let's start with this tournament. We'll get to some of the summits and the, the the meetings that are going on. But you guys have each got, in your case, Colin, you got a couple players here. Uh, Kirby Dock, who the Hockey News ranked third uh, in their top ten list for the upcoming 2019 NHL draft uh, back when they put out their draft uh, preview. Ironically, they had Alex uh, Newhook second, and he didn't make the Holinka team. So that, those uh, might be changing. Uh, but you've also got a goaltender here as well. Maybe tell us about the two kids that you've got and just how exciting your organization and franchise is having a couple players involved in the Holinka tournament. Yeah, it's it's huge for them and it's huge for us. We haven't had anybody uh, at this tournament, I think, since, geez, it might be Duncan Siemens. It's been a long time, right. so to have two at once is great. And, uh, you know, they're both special kids. They were our first two picks that draft, and we knew it was a great draft. Everybody kind of around the dub knew that that 01 was pretty special, especially being kind of bookended by... You know, the the 2000 group we all knew was just a really tough group around the Western Hockey League, and we knew that it wasn't going to be, and we saw that in the NHL draft this year. So to have the excitement in 01, and, and Kirby came in, and uh, we got him, we traded up and went to number two and got him, and, uh, you know, we needed a franchise centerman badly, and uh, he's definitely that. And he's uh, 
he's an extremely hardworking, humble kid. He's confident, but uh, he's he's an exceptional player, and we're we're banking on him to do some pretty special things for us this year. And and then Nolan Meyer was our MVP last year, and uh, he was Rookie of the Year even over Kirby. So that you know he he had 22 wins, I believe, or 23 last year, which was the most since any goalie since uh, I think Pickard. And so it's been a long time. So you know, to as have, a rookie in the as a, as a 16 year old, yeah. yeah. So to have. Uh, to have two kind of franchise guys to build around is pretty, pretty exciting, and to see them here is great, too. For our listeners, and I, I was here Monday night, and I, to be honest with you, I didn't really, like, Doc looks bigger than six foot three. Like, he's got a rangier look. To, is there a, a guy, that right shot, I mean, is, and, and how much center versus right wing does he play? Do you guys going to use him exclusively at center this year? Yeah, he's been always a center for He played 20 games as a 15-year-old because we had so many injuries that year. Yeah. He got an exemption. He even played center that whole year. So, you know, he's a centerman for us. Uh, he played right wing with Cameron Hebig a few games last year just to kind of put those two together. Uh, and Hebig, being a 20-year-old, got the precedent at center. But he's a centerman for sure. And uh, Is there a comparable for our listeners that you would say he reminds me of? He always reminded me of Ryan Getzlaff. He doesn't have that same kind of nastiness that Ryan has. Uh, his little brother Colton has that nastiness, but uh, he does. Uh, he definitely appears like I mean, you know, I've heard people say Eric Stahl a little bit. You know, yeah. that really kind of smooth, you know, upright skater, six three, six four, uh, really smooth playmaker, um, and uh, they're both. Uh, you know, he's, he's a pretty special talent, so I think he's going to carve his own path. We'd all like him to shoot a little more. He's kind of a four assist to every goal kind of guy. But at the end of the year, he started shooting, and it really opened up options for him because people would stop, you know, expecting the pass every single time across the seam. And when you start shooting a bit, then you have to respect the shot, and he has a good shot. So, you know, sometimes it reminds me of watching Hemsky here growing up as a kid where you always yell and shoot more at him. Right. But, uh, yeah, he's pretty special. It's interesting. Uh, Andre Brin, who's worked for Hockey Canada for a number of years, I was sitting with him, and uh, he, he, he did mention just to put things in perspective and maybe this speaks of how good that uh, world junior team was back in that lockout year of 0405 Ryan Getzlaff got cut by Canada's Holinka team in his uh, going into his draft. That tells you how good that team yeah, was. Yeah, and if you look, Getzlaff didn't have a ton of points as a rookie. He kind of right. got going as a yep. 17 and an 18. So Kirby had a whole 20-game playoff, like, you know, playoff push as a 15-year-old, right. which I think gave him a huge amount of confidence coming into his 16 season, which most guys don't get. So now I feel like as a 17-year-old, he's had he's had two stretches now where he's kind of felt what it feels like to win and, you know, to not win. So yeah, Kurt, uh, you worked for the league office for a number of years and you know we're involved in the player procurement and recruitment side of things and then last year you're scouting for Chicago and then now you're in this role with Edmonton so you know Matt Robertson fairly well uh, I mean Kirby's a consensus top 10 pick I think Matt when I talk to guys from different agencies anywhere from 5 to 20 but you got to be pretty excited that that is you know there's your prototypical uh, top two Western Hockey League defenseman that's going to go in the first round of the draft. He's already represented Canada at the U18 Championships last spring. Yeah, you know, he's an exceptional player, Matt. He's um, The range that he has is a big demon, the ability that he has to skate around the ice, and, you know, it's shown in this tournament already, and uh, he played a big role for this team last season, the minutes that he played, and he logged out there, and uh, you know, understanding what he's going to be a big part of this team moving forward, and with our young group that we have coming in the next couple of years, um, what he's going to be able to bring to that back end is pretty, pretty special, and we're excited about it. 11 WHL players on this uh, Holinka Gretzky Cup team. I mean, uh, for the for a league that only had two first-round picks last year, and one of them was a surprise, the kid out of Red Deer, uh, Alexandriev. Uh, just a thought from your perspective, I mean, 
you know, we, we're, we're seeing Dylan Cousins out of Lethbridge, who I think is going to push Kirby for, you know, maybe the top guy drafted, out the, and, and maybe it's going to be uh, Bowen Byron, or Byron Bowen, Byron Bowen. Bowen Byron. Bowen Byron. <laughs> for some reason, I've, I've got a glitch in my brain. Maybe it's because I'm getting old. Uh, but you've got all these, you know, let, were you surprised yourself, Kurt, at how many WHL kids ended up making this year's uh, Lincoln Gretzky Cup team? Well, you, uh, last year scouting the league, I kind of knew. We knew it was coming. This is yeah. going to be a special year, and as uh, Colin mentioned to the Bantam draft, like, it's just, it ebbs and flows, and this was a pretty special year that year in the Bantam draft when teams are picking, and, you know, you had those top 10 picks. You knew you were getting an elite player for sure, and last year, even at our NHL meetings, you know, it was, when I went down to my scouting database, I was looking at the kind of the players we mark for next year, and a lot of them are Western Hockey Leaguers, and even the under-17 tournament last year, the guys that really excelled at that tournament were the guys from the West, so we knew it was a a big year. Uh, and we should mention the Edmonton Oil Kings ended up getting the number one pick. Uh, well, you won the lottery, but it was a tough year, and that's why there's some of the changes. It's part of the reason why you're here. Maybe just educate our listeners on the kid that went number one, and he's, he's going to probably get into some games maybe late in the year. Can't play full-time at Edmonton, but uh, a pretty impressive offensive player moving forward. Yeah, Dylan Gunther, he's, um, you know, he's He's got the size already of, uh, you know, he's got great range as well. He's a big kid, and he can really shoot the puck. His instincts and finding holes in the ice and his ability to get a shot off, it's, it kind of makes him a special player. He's going to be a guy that uh, is has a knack for the net and going to be able to score goals and kind of a, an offensive piece that we're really excited to add to our group. We're joined by Edmonton Oil Kings General Manager Kurt Hill, Saskatoon Blades General Manager Colin Priestner. Uh Guys, the Center Ice Summit, and there's WHL meetings going on for GM and coaches. Uh, we'll start with you, Colin. I mean, this is going to be sort of a – every second year, we're, you know, Edmonton's got this event, 2018, 2020, 2022. It's in a bit of a tough week because it is in an August long weekend, and, and then it moves, you know, forward. But it, there's – maybe what's it like in terms of the education opportunities, even for, you know, you're in your mid-30s, you know, you, you, just the contacts that you get to meet and that sort of thing through people that are coming here. Yeah, it's pretty great. Uh, tomorrow, we've the WHL put together a fantastic panel for us, uh, for the WHL general managers. There's three NHL GMs meeting with us and uh, you know, for a couple hours, which is a pretty great privilege and good to build connections and uh, and just to learn from these guys. And uh, it's exciting for us. And it's always good to get in a room with other GMs who have other good ideas. And we're, we all want to make the league better. That's that's what our goal is. When you know, it's when you're at these meetings, you're at, you're you're together as one. And then when you separate, then you want to beat each other. But uh, for these August summits and stuff, this is a great opportunity for us, especially young guys like me and Kurt, to kind of, you know, just continue to build our resumes up and learn. Care to add something to that? Yeah, you know, I think the meetings as a whole, I know I remember when I was working for the league, we did a, a few coaches meetings every every couple of years, GM meetings. I think it's just sometimes it's great for to get everybody in the league in the same room, and we're all trying to make this league better as a, uh, from co- a coaching standpoint and a general manager standpoint. So bringing everyone together, fresh new ideas, uh, talking about how players are changing every year for, you know, even some of the guys that have been around in the league for, for many years. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline.
and then for Colin and I for being able to get feedback on them and the way that they've built teams and like you said with having three NHL GMs it's pretty special and the three GMs Peter Shirelli from the Oilers uh, Brad Trailing, who worked his way up uh, with the Calgary Flames and Kevin Cheveldayoff and I, I think it shows the fluid nature uh, maybe more so at the NHL level than major junior level with all due respect but, you know, a year ago at this time, Peter Shirelli was up for executive of the year. And people in Winnipeg uh, did not know in August of uh, 2017 that uh, Kevin Sheveldayoff had already signed an extension. Didn't get announced till September. But when it got announced, the response around the league was pretty critical. And lo and behold, a year later, after Winnipeg wins, you know, whatever, 48-plus games, and the Oilers dropped the way they did, reversal of fortune for those two organizations and the perception is different and it shows you the ups and downs and I think that's a great place to go to next Colin I mean you guys took over you bought that franchise you're you're not from Saskatoon a lot of Edmonton people obviously uh Mike Priestner bought the team you uh, brought in Steve Hogle who used to be Jack Michaels and my one of our we have about 18 bosses just depending on the day uh but uh he was the one guy that actually uh never made us feel like he was actually our boss but he's a you you guys hired him to be your president um you've been there what five years now and it's been a tough go and you inherited a very difficult situation because the blades uh, had sold out for the year that they hosted the memorial cup and frankly they made some incredibly you can't say it i will some horrendously you can say it some horrendously stupid trades for marginal 19 and 20 year old players that were not of the value that they gave up and left your pipeline fairly dry. It's taken a while. I'm not giving you an excuse, but you inherited a difficult scenario. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I like to tell the story because it's kind of funny, but Todd McClellan being a former Blade, uh, you know, and someone we got to know over the last five years and really good guy, and he invited my dad and I up when we were first getting the team, and we spent a few days in San Jose when he was there, and I remember he said the first thing he said, are you guys prepared for five years of hell? And I said, oh, it's not going to be five years of hell. He goes, just... I'm telling you, you're worse off than an expansion team because you don't have any first-round picks for six years in a six-year span. So it's you're worse than an expansion team. So be prepared now to set your expectations for what is, is to come. And, you know, the first overall pick two straight years was ours, and it went to, you know, Ty Smith, who would look pretty good on our team, and so would Stelio Matheo. So those kind of hurt when you watch them play. But... Um, you know, the the time, that was three, two, two, three years in. Now we're really focused on what we're doing now. And now we have some franchise players to build around. And we've got a totally different look to our team than we had. And we don't have to go into games, like, with no skill and kind of trying to bump and grind away to a 3-2 overtime loss. Now we want to score four or five goals. So it's a different mentality for us. And uh, it's the first year I've been genuinely optimistic about the results. So it's pretty exciting. Was that Colin Belcourt? For Ty Smith? Yes. Okay, so. and I'm trying to think of who it was for Brandon. I can't even remember. There was a trade, I believe it was it was Walker. Uh, there was a trade for uh, Walker, and then there was an option to pick. They got to pick uh, if Saskatoon finished below them, they would get to flip picks, and that's what happened, and then we won the lottery the next year. So it's been tough, but people are tired of hearing about that in our market. They want to know what you've done for and, me lately. And, so, and start winning some games. Yeah, and, that's right, and it's on us to do that. Everybody around knows we went through a tough stretch there, and now we're – we have some franchise players. And so the balance of power, I mean, you were in the toughest division of the WHL last year, Colin, and, and there's three teams that were, well, there's two teams for sure, Regina and Swift Current, that flat out sold out to win. So yeah. And Regina has, having the Mem Cup, so I, it was a tough division. I mean, I'm pretty proud that we were above 500 in that division because it was, you got to play those teams eight times each or six times, yeah. depending on the team. And, and those were th- three of the four best teams in the league last year. So. Yeah, so it's, it was it was a tough year because we, we did sell off a little bit. We traded... 
Cam Hebig away, who the Oilers end up signing uh, right before we traded him. Hayek, right? And Libor Hayek, who's a fantastic defenseman. And we sent them both to Regina, which wasn't popular in the market. But we knew that, you know, our best case scenario is clinging to eighth place and playing one of those murderers row teams in the first round. Or we could take a ton of assets in a heavy market uh, where the assets were pretty substantial and then get really good this year and you know we took a lot of heat for that because people wanted to see playoffs after three years of missing so um hopefully we have something smart uh, good to show them for the next several years for for the patience that our fans showed there last year uh we're joined by colin priester he is gm and partner of the saskatoon blades and kurt hill president and gm of the edmonton oil kings you're inheriting a little bit different situation five first-round picks over the last three years. Now, you don't have them all right now. A couple of them you're going to have to wait till next year, plus, what, the number two pick in the European draft as well. Uh, And the organization had gone through perhaps a somewhat inevitable two-year slide after, I mean, let's face it, they had, you know, 2012, 2014, the Edmonton Oil Kings were the best team in the WHL, um, and Portland thought they had the best team that money could buy in the WHL, but Edmonton ultimately uh, uh, found a way to win two of those three series, and if Griffin Reinhardt doesn't get hurt in 2013, they win that series too. So it's... it. it I, I think realistically, maybe, Kurt, you're looking at a 30 to 35 win season, best case scenario, but you could be a team that would be 40, 45 over the next couple of years. Yeah, you know, coming in, it's uh, you want to be patient at the same time. We have a lot of really good young players coming up, and uh, you don't want to you don't want to get too young too fast and you don't want to put them in situations where they're playing above where they should be playing. You want to make sure that they're progressing into the league at the proper pace and that, you know, not necessarily that you don't have guys in your roster. If they're, if they're going to be here as a young player that you want them to be everyday players. So that's kind of the model that we're going to go with for the forward developing those players into our lineup. But uh, yeah, we are excited about where they are and we think we have some good older players that we brought in at the draft that uh, are going to be able to kind of start to groom those guys and uh, lead them in the right direction here in year one of us kind of turning this thing up. You picked up a couple 20-year-old forwards that should help you out there. Uh, Colin, I, got, I, I know you're into analytics, and your team probably, well, I mean, I would assume might have been one of the first teams in the Western League to really push that. Um, it's a... It, it, you know this show. I mean, we, we have a bit of that on this show. There's The other fan base is intense and looking for competitive ways to win at all times and is often critical of Edmonton. Uh, for their shortcomings in that regard, but is there a place for that in the Western Hockey League? And when you're when you're not a Peter Ann Holt in Lethbridge or a Bob Torrey in Tri City that has been in the league for 25 plus years, as a general manager, do you have to do things a little bit different and explore some other options to be as competitive as you possibly can be? Definitely. I mean, uh, we gotta. It's 2018. There's no time to. You know, we gotta. We got to look for every advantage we can possibly look for nowadays. It's not, uh, you can't think about what happened 20 years ago. I mean, I was 14. It doesn't matter what happened 20 years ago. So uh, I got to, you know, with my staff, like we had, we had an analytics department with a guy named Bruce Peter who was just a guy who looked, lived in Outlook, Saskatchewan. He drove an hour every day into the game and he just wanted to do it as a volunteer. And he gave us like 15 pages of data each night. I didn't even know what to do with it the first year. And then the I, I stupidly, talked about how great he was in an interview uh, with the Star Phoenix and sure enough the Toronto Maple Leafs hired him like five days later <laughs> and he just won a championship with them with the Marlies and uh, so it's pretty cool that we actually had the first guy that kind of got promoted out of that job but uh, you know 
it, it's uh, we got Cody Nicolette who does a great job for us, and he uh, he does that now. And I look at everything. Like you can't not look at information. I mean, if I've got a guy that's on the ice, and 58% of the shots that are on the ice when he's on the ice are at towards one net, and it's the right net, then there's probably something good happening when he's on the ice. So um, there's more to it than just Corsi and all that kind of stuff. We look at scoring chances a lot. That's something our coaches really like uh, more than shot chances. They like scoring chances, like who's creating that. But you know, it's amazing to see, especially at the junior level, where there's such a disparity between your best player and your weakest player. But you know, a, a simple stat like carrying the puck over the blue line with possession or dumping it in. Like if you had a Nikita Sherback or a Kirby Doc, like they almost double your next best player in zone entries with possession. And you think it wouldn't be that stark, but it is. It's crazy how the elite, elite guys they carry the puck over the blue line with possession and you're like three times more likely to create a scoring chance if you carry it over than dumping it. So if you've got a guy, maybe you have a third liner that's doing that 50% of the time where your team averages 38% and hey, maybe there's an opportunity for this guy to play up a little bit if there's an injury. Or, you know, you've got to look at all those advantages. Kurt, uh, I bumped into Norm McIver at the Combine and he passed along, and, you know, Bob, how many uh, sub-six-foot defensemen are there in the National Hockey League? And then I ended up getting a copy of your guys' report. I think I told you the story on Adam Boquist. I'm like, well, there's no way in hell they're drafting Adam Boquist. And then the Hawks went and took Adam Boquist, a smaller defenseman. But on the note with Chicago, just the experience, can you use that to maybe help you out a bit? Because that's been a pretty well-run franchise. I mean, some of the challenges they've had have been cap-related uh, the last few years, though they uh, found a way to open up some space in, in the last month. It's going to make things very interesting moving forward. Panarin, patch ready. We'll see. But uh, but maybe just if you could quickly speak to that experience you gleaned out of Chicago. Yeah, for sure. Like some of the insights I had the opportunity to take from that group going to the draft meetings and understanding, you know, what they look at, different qualities they look at in players and talking about the analytics and, you know, a lot of the things puck possession time, zone entries, as Colin was speaking about, like a lot of those things are of high importance and, you know, the value that they put on defensemen in that organization and building with the guys that are now the real new age. I think within that organization, they have a real good sense of where the game is right now and where it's moving. And that was one of the things that I really, I really took from that. I think they're progressive. I think they're they have a good mindset on where the game's going to be in five years, and they're drafting players for where the game's going, not where it is today. All right. On that note, uh, I am a uh, WHL snob from the old days. All right. So one of my finest moments was watching the 1991 Spokane Chiefs beat the living snot out of some team from Quebec. And at one point, there was a five-on-five line brawl, and all five Western Hockey League players were pumping the players at the queue. And that was part of how good the league was when it was 12 and 14 teams. I know we've talked about the 22-team league, but I, I want to ask you about Kurt you played in the league and then worked for the league have you seen an evolution in the players because 25 years ago 16 of the 18 skaters would have fought today we got maybe a couple guys in each team that might be willing to engage maybe eight to ten times a year but how much more skill and better are the players today maybe than they were in the past well when you go through the league now even when you're drafting kids in bantam pretty much everyone can skate in the draft and if they they can't skate now you know they got the fundamentals where they're maybe just a little bit more of a stringy body and they're going to get there in a few years it's just amazing that the speed that the kids bring to the game now and even just the overall puck skills that they do possess is it, it's a, it's really the next level i think nowadays is with with the fighting too it's the, the kids haven't grown up around that so there's no expectation to have to do that and I think as a league the Western League's done a great job at uh, you know with the coaches and the management staff that it's really it's not a part of the game anymore and that's the coaches have adapted too or they don't there's no expectation for players to go out and fight you know it's more about competing now than 
than fighting at the end of the yeah, day. We're we're recruiting against the NCAA every day. I mean, it's it's even more five years in for me than it was the first year. Like it's there's big time schools at all our bantam tournaments, which five years ago you never would have seen a single one dare show their right. face. So you know, and we're not pitching Kirby Doc to come in and well, you have to fight twice a year to show it. Like no, you don't. Like you know, if you if if it comes up and it has to happen once in your career or twice, fine. And if there's a kid that wants to fight 15 times in your le- team, that that's his role and he feels that's what he has to do. But I would be very happy if we didn't have a fight next year. I mean, it's not going to happen, but the, the league has changed to that that so much. Colin, uh, you brought something up with the NCAA. As you know, in the early, well, for eight years, I was uh, on Ron's WHL scholarship committee as the, the sort of the SID rep. Uh, U of A was the program that's benefited the most. Um, they're going to win again this upcoming year because they won last year and they're going to be better this year under Ian Herbers and the depth of that team. But just how is that battle going from your – what percentage of kids – and we'll ask Kurt this because he worked directly in the office as well. But from your perception, what how how often does that NCAA op- option get played that might limit who you get? It's been really interesting the last two drafts, I would say, because the sports schools have become a huge thing in, in Bantam, which is kids paying twenty to $50,000 a year to go full-time, live away from home, and play at these academies. So their expectations are different, and they visit NCAA schools at times, and they get a taste of it. So it's been really different the last two years. Surprisingly, the number of actual top players who've committed is about the same. It's like less than 10%. It's probably 4 or 5%. But every run-of-the-mill player now it's a threat and you have to talk to them about it so it's not like 99 percent of the players you don't even bother talking about it and you just oh this kid's going college let's avoid him or let's take him as a late pick as a risk now you have to be have that conversation up front with them every single time because they're more they're more present the ncaa schools are i don't think it's they still want to play in the western league the majority of kids know this is the best place for them and this is the best exposure for them and nobody wants to wait a lot of players don't want to wait till they're 19 or 20 to be in a key role playing junior a until then so we haven't lost the numbers i think but it's a big threat every day for us with every player now to talk to them you worked on the recruitment side greg gardner is a friend of yours i think he's doing some of that education stuff right now he's a former golden bears captain uh, how, I mean, you tell me, I mean, what, it, I know in the, like I look at the first round picks and I think all the top eight picks in the draft are already signed this year, but how's that going, Kurt, from your perspective? You know, the numbers there, like as Colin said, you lose the odd guy, but for the most part, majority of the high end players that are coming through with Bantam and midget years, they, they want to play in the Western league and they're coming to the league. It's, uh, you know, you, there's the odd player you lose and it's inevitable it's maybe he had a family member that played in the ncaa and that's just the route he's chosen from the time he was started playing competitive hockey at 12 he was going to go play in the ncaa and i mean you lose that odd battle but from the from the league standpoint they do a tremendous job at uh, at showing the parents and the families what their options are they don't hide anything like i think the teams now it's uh well kurt was actually a yeah. big part of that he he was the first guy to come in in that role and really get to know every family and that was a huge resource for us as gm so you know kurt really changed that perception where we have to combat it and he did a great job uh kurt hill he is the new president of GM of the Edmonton Oil Kings. And Colin Priestner, he is the general manager and partner. Just keep the headsets on for 15 seconds of the Saskatoon Blades. Uh, Colin, when you guys come to town, if we're in town, we're going to do this again, okay? Is that Perfect. cool, guys? Yep. All right. Uh, we're going to head off to a global news weather traffic update with Eileen Bell. Jason Strudwick, Western Hockey League grad that nobody thought when he was in midgets was going to ever turn out to be an NHL player. But he was smart. 
and he never stopped improving. He's up next in Oilers Now. When you want to fly your Oilers colors with fan gear or outfit your fan cave, there's only one place. ProAmSports.ca. Jerseys, apparel, headwear, and memorabilia from your favorite players and teams. Whether it's the NHL, the CFL, the NFL, MLB, or more, ProAm Sports are your fan cave specialists. And if it comes with a ProAm Sports certificate of authenticity and hologram, you know it's 100% authentic, hand-signed memorabilia. So no matter who you cheer for, ProAm Sports has got your guy. Visit their Edmonton showroom on St. Albert Trail. Fill your fan cave at ProAmSports.ca. That's ProAmSports.ca. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer, Weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio. 630 Chad.